Welcome to the Toffee Blues, your source for all things Everton. And welcome to another podcast, lots to get through. And for this one, I'm joined by Terry and Owen Parks. Tonight's podcast sees us start with a player performance review, just the one for this show. Owen, Terry and I will be running the rule over Andre Gomez's season before going into our big season review later on in the show. And then, of course, we finish with our classic match day squad quiz where Owen and Terry go up against each other in the yeah the Matthew squad quiz so yeah the segments are separate as we go through the show so we introduce them respectively and we'll get straight into it with the Andre Gomez review which I'm sure Owen's really looking forward to but the season now concludes and we're running the rule over the individual displays that we've seen this year from individual players and tonight it's the turn of Andre Gomez Owen's favourite player so it's great to have Owen on this show and of course Teddy as well We'll start with you, Teddy. How do you think Gomez has got on this season, or at least when he has been available? Um, it's it's a, it's a weird one, that really, isn't it? Because his his season has been very much just informed by the injury. Like it's fair, like straight, you know, first and foremost, let's get out, let's get it out of the way. He got a horrendous looking injury in the game against Spurs at home. Was it November? Mm-hmm. November. November. Um, Obviously looked really bad at the time, was a dislocated ankle um, and fracture to some bones. And I think a lot of people thought he'll be out. For the season. Yeah, well, I thought he'd be out until the latter part of next season because, you know, broken legs, you don't come back quickly from them. And also there was a, you know, speaking for myself, there was some worry that he was going to get a little bit might end up a bit like Seamus Coleman when he comes back from the injury and he, he's just lost that little bit of X factor. You know, it's not quite the same player. Okay, Gomez was never a pace player, but he might, you know, um, be a little bit more timid physically. And I think that has, has come to pass. He was never a tough tackling midfielder, but he was very strong and, and she was He was forceful and he was aggressive, wasn't he? I don't think we've seen that since he came back. Yeah, so at the beginning of the season, I think he was pretty much as he was the season before in terms of his own performance. He didn't play as well in terms of the team because him, yeah. along with everyone else, missed Adrissa Gay. Yeah, so precisely that. Beginning of the season, he, you know, when he was in the team, played one game with um played one game with John John um, Paul Gabamon. John Philippe Gabamon, I keep saying. John yeah, I did that I did that last time. So John Philippe Gabamon. JP Gabamon. <laughs> um, put, put some Jean Paul Gabamon on after you have a shave. Yeah. So we played one game with him at um, against Wolves. Played all right. He played one game alongside Tom Davies in, with the Wolves ahead of them against West Ham. That was probably they, his best showing. Yeah, de- definitely. Like you know, Davies and Gomez were highlighted that day on Match of the Day for being you know a really effective partnership. Obviously, how those times have changed, um, change of formation and, and what have you, and change of form. 
has um, made that seem a little bit silly now. But I think he was all right at the you know, beginning of the season. He wasn't spectacular. I think he did really suffer from the loss of Idrissa Gay. I don't think anyone was really, you know, I don't think people realised quite how you know much he was going to be missed, um, especially when his replacement got such a serious injury. And then in the second half of the season, when he came back from the injury, you know, with the delay and pro, you know project restart, he he, came, he got back just before that, you know, miracle turnaround for a recovery time. No one expected him to be back as quick as he was. He hasn't been the same since. He's he's not been as effective. He's not been as strong on the ball. He's had the odd flash here and there. You know, um, there was you know a couple of moments in the away game at Sheffield United. He hasn't been the same on the whole though, since he came back from the injury. But I think that's to be expected, from my own opinion. I think he's been okay first half of the season, poor second half of the season, but you can't, for me, judge him on the second half of the season because the injury was such a bad one. Some players don't ever come back from breaks like that. So, obviously, we've looked at shit. We did a Seamus Coleman review very recently, and I was quite critical of Coleman. And I know a lot of that is maybe maybe down to the injury that he's lost his edge. But so what can we expect from Gomez next season? Do you think, with that in mind, will he get back to the heights that he was at in his first season, or will he continue on a downward spiral like Coleman seems to have done? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, Coleman um, lost a bit of pace. Now he was never a pace player, but that loss of a bit of pace changed his game, whereas. Um, Gomez didn't really have any pace to speak of. And if he was to lose a bit, I still don't think it would change his game dramatically, but he's lost that sort of bulk or strength or muscle. Where he yeah, he was very, up. very strong and aggressive, wasn't he? He's still got ability, as you know, passing-wise, but he, when you say, will he get back to it next season, he's got to, because right, right now, I, I think, it, not the common consensus, but a common consensus, as I know I won't agree, a common consensus is that he's still our best midfielder, but that won't last for long if the transfer plans come through. He can't, he can't, you know, start next season slowly or poorly. He because can't he'll be- I think that that what that's what we need to get to our, ourselves into a position for next season, bring in at least two centimeters and make it clear that even Andre Gomez, as as like you say, is commonly considered to be the yeah. best midfielder, they can't coast. No, he's 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 lucky that the rest of the midfielders are as bad, or if not worse, at the minute, because he's lucky that they're all terrible, because he hasn't been playing well. But I think going into next season, he probably will have the most stock. He'll have the most credit to his name, whereas the likes of Tom Davies and Sigurdsson won't. Um, but if you bring in a midfielder, if J- if JP Kabamon gets back fit. Gomez will have to start, you know, playing back to the ability, you know, back, he'll have to start justifying his hype a little bit more to start regulating the team because he's now in a different formation, which, let's be honest, doesn't suit him. For it, it really hasn't suited him, has it? And I mean, we've got to touch on the fact that he was bought to be a part of a 4-2-3-1 and now he's playing for a manager who predominantly likes a 4-4-2, so... That could well see, even if he does have a part to play, it could see him fall down the pecking order if we find more suitable players for our new formation in the transfer window. Still a great passer. He still recycles the ball really well, but he can't just let people keep running past him. Like he, yeah. everyone, uh, People are just gliding past him and he won't get away with it in a 4-4-2. Now, he's never been, yeah, as I said before, a tough tackler, but he, 
he can you he know what I mean? stand he can up do, for himself oh, more. Yeah. He, he can hold his own better than he has done recently. Yeah, he does. He needs he needs to play more combatively. He doesn't suit a four four two, but it doesn't mean he can never play in one. He, but he needs to adapt to it quickly because he is just getting walked past in centre midfield. And when there's only two of them in there rather than three, it's going to get. It's you can't have passengers. You cannot have passengers. No, we, uh, no matter who we bring in, they're not going to be this magic player who does the work of everyone, like you know everyone expects. Unless we sign Golo Kante, it's not going to happen. Right, on to our one, and I'm going to start by giving you a bit of bait to take here, because I, I think I've mentioned this one to you before, haven't I? I own the Watford statistic where uh, Kapue, Ducore, and Will Hughes have all combined had less dribble pasts than... Andre Gomez. Yeah, that's on the, the uh, Luke on Twitter, isn't it? I'm not entirely sure. Was it? Yeah. Was it? I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah Gomez has been dribbled past more than the combined midfield three of Watford, who yeah. have gone down, as we now know. Yeah, just so, just some context. If you think I don't rate Gomez, you want to read Luke's tweet. He absolutely hates the bloke. <laughs> that that El Ken's the Watford fan. Yeah, Luke McKenzie. Yeah. He really, he really doesn't rate Gomez. In fact, he yeah. was on the bandwagon before I was. Yeah, well, <laughs> even a broken clock right twice a day. That lad's an idiot. Oh no, he, I mean, as where he, I mean, it's completely unrelated. But he's come up with some woeful shouts in the past, by the way. As well, um, but Gomez, look, I, I think if you put Gomez in a four-three-three, and you were just telling him to recycle the ball. You don't. He, he doesn't really affect the game much in the opposition half. I know he had a few assists towards the end. I think he had one against Villa, didn't he? And um, that might just be it. But he's definitely created more since the um, we've come back. My issue with him is the other way because in a four-four-two, historically anyway, a four-four-two has always been more of a counter-attacking out of possession type of formation where you're looking to more like sit in and like counter-attack the opposition. And in order to do that, you need midfielders and two of them, by the way, who can take the ball off the opposition and uh, attack forward. Now, he's a good passer at the ball and he could do that. But I just don't think he's defensively good enough in a 4-4-2 to be able to pull her off. You could say, well, in a way, defensively under Marco Silva, we were a 4-4-2 because Sigurdsson would go next to the striker out of the ball and Gomez and Garner would sort of sit in as the midfield pivots. But this is a bit different because when we do that now, it, it sometimes goes to like a three or five at the back when we do so. His role changes all the time when it, within it. And I just don't I just don't think he's good enough to do so. As, I, as for how he's done this season, I think he started bad and then I think he grew into the season until his injury. And then I think after the, we've come back, he just hasn't been the, the same player at all. He, did okay when he came on against Arsenal, if I remember right, because I think that was all on like adrenaline and what have you, that he's coming back and he, he was head and shoulders the best midfielder on the pitch. But then every game since then, I think he's been pretty poor, except the Sheffield yeah. game, which he did play well in. But I think that was a game where there's such a, like an empty space in the midfield because theirs weren't really doing much and Tom Davis was pretty bad. So I, I I just think with Gomez, you'll get another year, and if I if I was in charge, he probably wouldn't because I look at him and think that he's never going to really suit the formation. But he's a talented player, and there's shades of his 
Valencia days are back, then maybe you can you can do something. But I I just worry about the fact that he's not he doesn't need yet. And I'm not saying Sigurdsson's better than him, not. But when oh. Sigurdsson's playing in Marcus Silva's first year, he just get goals, and and his excuse then was I can't take him out. He's getting goals, even though he wouldn't do anything for eighteen minutes in a game. With Gomez, he doesn't really do that. But I I do understand why people like him because. I think if you think that period, when Marcus Silva left from when Duncan came in, and Ancelotti really kind of and the whole of Ancelotti's reign, we haven't really been a team that kept the ball really well at times. We've always lost the ball and we've gone a bit more direct. So I think people would rather go and stay in the team because he's always looking to keep the ball nice. I know that 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 was also a criticism that was laid at Schneider, and that was just an easy pass. But I think Gomez is a bit more sophisticated than Schneiderlin, but it's more of the off-the-ball work that really does concern Yeah, it, it is frustrating sometimes with Gomez, I think. It, it's the it's that exact statistic that sums up Gomez's fatal flaws, is that he does get beaten too easily in the midfield, like when we're out of possession. He's literally like a training cone, isn't he? Yeah, and another thing that doesn't really work in his favour when that does happen, and I'm not when he when Gomez plays, he doesn't re- he doesn't look like he's working hard, and that's probably not an accurate an accurate reflection of his game. But he always looks like he's coasting through games. That might be a bit harsh, but he doesn't he doesn't he's not a blood and thunder blood and thunder player. Is he? he doesn't look like he gives everything, and that that can sometimes be annoying. But especially when but the it, chips are down, like we've had yeah. a couple of bad results, it does look frustrating to see him. Standing there, like I say, like a train and cone and watching mm. players just dribble around yeah. him. Yeah, he's he's nice on the ball, but apart from that, I'm not really sure what he's good at. Um, he he was really good. Do you know, if we were playing Declan Rice every week, and he's been good lately, Declan Rice, but if we were playing against Declan Rice every week, I'd have Gomez in there every week because he scores him every time he plays. But, like I said, it, it's it's tough because... He's not the best off the ball, and I think we need midfielders who are good off the ball if we're going to carry out what we're planning to do with the four-four-two. Yeah, I think that's it's the interesting thing with Gomez. I think for me, moving forwards would be what would Gomez be like next season, even in a four-four-two, if we brought in the right kind of ball winner that you're on about to play next yeah. to him. Yeah, I, my issue with that though also would be. He, He's not the most creative either, so we'll we'll see. I'll hold. I'll we'll see how he does next season. But I think he has got to deliver next season, or I I don't think anyone in a year's time will be making excuses for him. My issue with the the injury was bad, but I don't think he was necessarily Andreas Iniesta before the injury either. I just think he he was a tidy player, but again, he still had the same flaws as he has now. He just looks a bit. Because of the formation change, he's went straight oh. manager pre and post injury. So I do feel for him and that coming into a new manager system. We've seen this as well, but I just, I just, we'll see how he does next season. Is but I think the the big question mark there. I'm not writing them off like I'm writing Bernard off, but I, I, I do think there's some serious questions. So uh, I think. The jury's out, it seems, on Andre Gomez for next yeah. season. And Owen's front in the jury. <laughs> Me and Luke McKenzie. 
well, hand, hands across down to the championship, get a Wofford, a Wofford fan up to like do the verdict. Oh, no. Yeah. They've got they've got a pretty decent midfielder with Capu, though. I think he's a good player. And I'll, I'll be honest, they've gone down. They'd have a couple of their midfield. I, I do look at them and think I don't know quite how they've gone down because I don't think they've got a bad team, but they have. Yeah, it is what it is. But yeah, Andre Gomez, again, it's a case of looking to the future now and seeing what next season holds for him because it is, it's going to be a crucial season for him. He's This will be the time where we'll expect him to find his feet again and hopefully see what, what he's really made of, regardless of what formation he's playing in. And it, like like Owen says, it might be time to look at moving him on if, if he doesn't cut the mustard next season, but he'll definitely get the season to yeah. prove himself his levels above some of the other crap that we need to get rid of. So, no, I, I do look at the other midfielders we've got, notably Sigurdsson and like Davis, and I, ju- I just don't think they've got any chance. I think he's got some chance, but he needs to improve. A lot of areas in this game for adaptability. If, if we had, if Andre Gomez wasn't our player, there'd be no way we'd look to sign him because of the the suitability to the system. We've got him, so we need to have a look at him. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Obviously, he signed last summer after the loan the first season. If if it was after the loan this season, we probably wouldn't buy him. No, probably not. But it is what it is. He did have a decent first season, and Silva did like him. I think I just I just feel that my issue is the way people think he's amazing and he's not. I didn't have really an issue with him, but I I looked at him and said, "Do we think he can do more?" And people suddenly thought he'd been perfect. Yeah, and I, I, I know that Owen, oh, you're one of your real pet hates in football. Is anyone who's overhyped? Yeah, no, the the people who are the darlings of football Twitter and they're not really that good, but. Uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, Owen's been waiting for quite some time for this segment so he could say his piece in the year, have you? Well, people think I really dislike him or something, I just don't think he's really a good fit, but whatever. You like the um, the first one in there, though, vocally, who, who was like... <laughs> yeah, he was the eyebrow raiser. Yeah, I remember that that was how I first noticed you on Twitter, though, and I was like, who's this fucking lad like, saying that Gomez is shite? Is he for real? And now, like, over time, I've gone, oh, he's kind of right, didn't he? He had a point, no, like, I, he was well ahead of the curve. I was just, he's not shite, but, it, like, you would, for me, at least, you were definitely the first one I saw, like, saying, yeah, we're all raving over this lad, and he's not that good. And I remember seeing it going, Nah, he doesn't know his onions, him. And now, as that's going to go, like, are we the baddies? Do I not know of the onions? What's going on here? Like, Marco Silva, still be here. I've got a litany of terrible shouts, though. I, I had an argument with my mates. Um, <laughs> well, when I first got to know my mates in work, in work he, Everton fan, I was talking to him on a dinner, and I was saying, he was raving over Calvert-Lewin being, like, goes this is back, like, three years ago. And I was going, I don't see it. You know, when he was playing on, like, the right and the left? Yeah. I, going, oh, I, yeah. I said, Adam Ola Luckman, he's the one. And I was just, now it's like, I would look back and go, uh-huh. even if people, even though some people don't like Calvert-Lewin, just think, yeah, I lost that one. Now Calvert-Lewin draw, made more, more of him. Yeah, Calvert-Lewin made much more of himself uh, than, than Luckman did at Everton. And I remember walking away from him going... Hasn't got a clue that lads, and I just I've come to realise to me he hasn't got a clue. But to be honest, time proves me wrong constantly. Yeah, and yeah, you are on the show with me weekly, and we have these discussions. 
Master of Shite shouts me. It's, in, it's interesting, I, though, with Luckman, I, though, isn't it, that he's never really worked out, so, Leipzig or anything? No, I didn't rate, rate him at all, to be honest. I just looked at him and I thought he's gone through the motions. But where I would say I was terribly wrong on him, Ronald Koeman, when he first came in, I thought, do you know what he knows what he's doing, this fella? And then <laughs> I gave I think we were all fooled by him. that. Yeah, it's because it was so bad. It was, yeah, it was because this isn't Martinez, this is good. <laughs> yeah. No, that that was probably me, to be honest, because I really didn't like him even. But I thought, yeah, even yeah. up until, like, Limassol at Farmers, and I would come up and said, no, he'll turn it around. He just needs to strike it in January. <laughs> oh, God. Well, we're all guilty of it. At least we can admit yeah. it. Right, and on that note, we're going to finish with our review with our totally, like, you know, our knowledge is so good, we can give our ratings for Andre Gomez. Start with Owen. The the critics are waiting to hear what you've got to say here, Owen. What would you give him out of 10? Before his injury, I'd give him a 6. Post-injury, I'd give him a 1. So, somewhere in between that. So, maybe, I don't know, a 3? A 4? 3 or 4? 3 or 4. Terry? I'm going to go with a six with like a very, you know, with an asterisk on it because <laughs> I, I, I know an asterisk that in vogue, the basically because I am explaining away slash excuse making for the poor form after the uh, lockdown due to the bad injury. So I'm not counting that as heavily as I probably should, which even though I'm, as I'm saying that out loud, I'm thinking you absolute shit. I was just give him a low mark, but no, I'm going for a six with an asterisk. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, you, should, yeah. You, you, you need to buy one of them, um, you know, big silver sixes off St. John's Market, you know, and like, you know, take it to Finch Farm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll give him a four because I, he, he, I, he was a solid six, six and a half a four before the injury. Now, I, I, I literally think he's been probably as bad as Sigurdsson since the injury. So, one of them. So it was a four and a six, and I'm going right down the middle, as it always seems to be on these shows now. But I'm give, I was going, I was planning on giving him a five, and a five is what he's going to get from me. We're going to be running the rule back over Everton's worst Premier League finish for 16 years, in case you wanted any spoilers. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be an interesting one. We're going to be going right back to the beginning of the season, and basically running through the season sort of in order and seeing what went right and what went wrong. I think there was more of the latter than the former, as you can probably tell by the way the season's panned out. But we'll get straight into it. We go into the season with, obviously, about I think it was about six or seven new faces, wasn't it? We had Moise Keane, John-Philippe Gabamon, not John-Paul Gabamon, Teddy. Uh, uh, yeah, we had Keane, Gabamon, Fabian Delph, Sidibe on loan. And it will be. Oh, and Jonas Lissler. Almost forgot about him. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it was, we had a couple of new faces. There was generally a decent sense of optimism, like after the all right season last year, that we could kick on. And um, you know, there was the general idea around Marco Silva was that he was an okay manager this time last year, and that was unbelievable to think it now. But you know, there was a lot of people who still very much believed in Marco Silva going into the start of this season and we go to Crystal Palace on the opening day 
get a little little draw. How are you feeling going into the season? Start with you, Owen. Um, I, I, do you know, do you know what? I was fairly confident to be honest because I thought that the way we'd finished the season, even though we'd lost Garner and we were sure to centre back a fourth. This was before Mason Holgate rise to fame. Um, we we brought Keane in with um, Calvert Lewin. Um, we got Sadibi cover right back. I thought that. Still thinking improvements on John Joe Kenny. The midfield we had Gabamon to rep- and we had Gomez plus that experience as well. So yeah, I thought we'd be all right. The I owned I overestimated Marco Silva's management ability. The truth being that he was severely flawed. Um, and I just I just underestimated how the team could do in the league. We ended up finishing above us. I thought I thought the teams would do well and we'd be in and around a certain pack of teams. But I just I just think that we overestimated ourselves and underestimated other teams. And yeah, we we needed to learn lessons as a club for that. But going into the season, before, we had a good start as well in terms of fixtures on paper that we could. have could put some points down in, but it never really did. It never really did get Never materialised, did it? I mean, we got a couple of... The first two home games we won, and I think yeah. at one point, I think certainly after the Wolves game, I thought, we could be all right this season. Yeah. The, the, the issue always was with us, though, was even with them first two home games, Wofford and Wolves, Wofford really should have got a point if you look back on the day. Bernard scored, and then they had they have a few guilt edge chances. I think Deeney in the second half and Decore. Right, the, yeah. the Wolves game they came back. They were they were pretty poor at the time from there. The bad start and we nicked a good header in the end. We got through in the cup, Lincoln. Um, but Palace away was just a, an ordinary performance from Crystal Palace. It was Palace. it was a, it was a, it was an ugly game. Now I think it was yeah. really windy, wasn't it? I think. Well, they really... they the thing was the hard as well. Was he staying or was he going? They had another summer where they didn't spend anything. So from the get-go, they were sort of battling against it to try and keep their head going in, in above us in the league. Whereas we were going into it trying to chase every team to win it because we felt pretty good. In the end, the the, the issue was was always I think not over expectation, but we overestimated certain individuals of the club, and that that's probably brought down where we are now. To be honest, with that in mind. Do you want to go and name some names over people we've maybe overestimated? Well, the, the manager, Silva. Um, I would say we overestimated the reality of what Moise Keane could probably do in one season. Yeah, definitely. We overestimated, I would say, Gilfie Sigurdsson's ability to just continuously score goals despite the fact he doesn't do much. And I, I just, I just think we over under, and then I think we underestimated other teams in and around us as well. Yeah, other, I think that was the most depressing part of this season for me was watching other teams just overtake us. Yeah, it was really, really depressing. And what was re- what was interesting is that after that Wolves game, we were in the top six. Yeah. And we we go into the international break, and then we come back, and you're thinking, you know, we could kick on here. We've got some winnable games. So we go to Bournemouth away. That was that. I'm sure we'll talk about what was the moment in the season for you where it didn't feel right. And it was just a big change to move that Bournemouth game. We 
because we were sick literally after the Wolves game. Then after that Wolves Bournemouth game, we just started to all get a bit toxic. If you remember the Silver Alpha was raided on random streets by Goodison, that the whole mood around the club just changed, and they never really got back after that. Yeah, it was it was it was so bizarre because I mean, I remember feeling pretty good during that international break after we'd beaten Wolves, and then we literally I think it changed in ninety minutes against Bournemouth. I don't think we ever really got it back then. And I mean, it was understandable why so many people were angry at that display because I mean they've still gone down. Bournemouth are not a yeah. very good team. And we were so disorganised. I remember that Callum Wilson goal where half the defensive line was just all over the same side and give them a free run on goal. And it was just... The, the, the offside line was a diagonal line and all that. It was unbelievable. And the defensive side of it was appalling. But the, like, I would say from that moment on, the mood really shifted. It all got a bit weird very quick. Yeah, and then, of course, we play Sheffield United. We know of, in the benefit of hindsight, they've had a very good season. But at this point, they were still six games into a new Premier League season as a newly promoted club, and we got beat at home off them. I think that was the point where I really started to lose confidence. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's all it's all a bit knee-jerk thinking about it. How many games is that? Four, five, six games into the season. But after that game, I put a tweet out saying the manager had to go because there was no way from me after that. He was ever turning it around, and I probably underestimated Sheffield United in doing so. There, yeah, I think we all underestimated Sheffield United, but I still think that from an Everton perspective, watching those games unfold, it's understandable that we could start to lose confidence because we just didn't look like we had any ideas, did we? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying it from then on. Silva was always a character I found that was easy to just... Uh, he was a very disposable manager, in my opinion. It was, no one really bothered about him. There was no real like affection towards Marco Silva from anyone, really. No, there wasn't. And to and be honest... People weren't bothered. Yeah, and then, of course, we go on, we lose a few more games. Man City, Burnley. Then we get a decent win against West Ham, which sort of bought him a bit longer. There was real speculation after that Burnley game, though, that there might have been a change then. Yeah. So just before the international break. They have 10 men over. We have 10 men over. We have 10 men. We had 10 men. Coleman got a red. Yeah. And then uh, what I think that was the real, like, depressing thing from them was I think we were in the bottom three after that game. And then you just looked at teams who were like, I think Burnley and Palace were fine out for fourth and fifth at that point, And they hadn't spent anything. We'd spent loads and there were real questions at that point. And obviously the questions didn't get answered at that stage, but we did get a good response against West Ham. It was a good win. Played pretty well. That's probably the best one of the best performances of the season, to be honest. And I mean that's not that tells you how poor a lot of the performances were. And then we go looking like we might have just turned a corner again. And we go two one up against Brighton. Yeah. And the- then VAR steps in, and yeah. I I remember watching this one. This was a this was really painful because this was the, probably the first time like you know VAR was brand new at the start of this season. This was the first time that we'd really been shafted by the VAR, and 
yeah, it wasn't enjoyable because it cost us that win, and we ended up going on to lose it. Of course, it was sickening, wasn't it? Yeah, the issue with that was that it just it just felt like we, no matter what we would do, because we changed it against West Ham. I think was it Bernard who got injured early on in that Brighton game. Yeah. Yeah, and then Sigerson came on, and then everything just felt a bit cyclical with it all. And yeah, yeah. the real good factor that was there in July went very quickly. Yeah, of course we lost that Brighton game late on, and then the next game is the Spurs game where Andre Gomez suffers a horrid injury, which was again another game marred by VAR where. For me, I think Spurs got such an easy ride off the VAR. We maybe should have had a penalty. Uh, and for me, the referee was very weak that day. I mean, I, I've gone on record to say that I think Andre Gomez's injury that day is a result of Spurs players being emboldened to put in hard, aggressive challenges because they were getting away with it. And the referee, and we, we were being had off on a regular basis at this period by referees as is quite often the case in certain periods during an Everton season, that the referee seems to, you know, really have it in for us. But those two games in a row, Brighton and Spurs, were real sickeners in that respect for me. Yeah, I, I, just, I just felt at that Spurs game that we could have probably won the game and I, I just, the referees really didn't help, I think. Was it Martin Atkinson against Spurs? I think it was, yeah. It was, yeah. I remember saying I was as bad a refereeing performance I've ever seen because that was woeful because they were getting away with stuff constantly. There was a couple of penalty shots in that as yeah, well. Yeah, there was about two or, there were two or three penalty shots for us in that game. Yeah. All of them were waved away, not even using the VAR. Or once the VAR was used and it was blatantly obvious, but they still didn't give it. Yeah. But for me, I think that what annoyed me was that the way they were letting Spurs get away with so much, I think it emboldened players like Son to snap into Gomez the way he did. I don't think those players do that if the referee is clamping down on it. No, I, that's true. But I think there was also a sense of, yeah, we, I just, the referees were poor, but we weren't very, we weren't a strong team. We didn't have any strong characters. There was no one coming out fighting for everything. I think no, there the really wasn't, and that was actually exactly what I was going to move on to next. Because in the wake of that Spurs game, there was the obvious fallout over Son and Andre Gomez, who suffered a serious injury, and our club captain Seamus Coleman decided that he'd rather go and console the perpetrator of that Son Hyung Min than actually look out for his teammate Andre Gomez, and that for me really knocked me sick and. What also knocked me sick was at this stage, Marco Silva as well was not speaking out against it. Marco Silva also just was very spineless. He took it way too easily and didn't stick up for anybody in the post-match presser. No. And at this point, it was really, it felt like the club had completely lost any sort of character, considering that the manager and the captain were both behaving so spinelessly. It just felt like there was no real Everton fighting spirit left in this team and it was horrible It was that was probably the most depressed I've felt during the whole season or certainly not maybe not depressed there was worse to come <laughs> but um, 
certainly the most uh, where do we go from here almost like it's like what can you do when your captain and your manager don't give a shit mm. but that my real concern was at that point because it was we were sort of in limbo with the whole situation we were really struggling at the bottom of the league and I thought well if the captain and the manager at that point didn't have the passion and the, the, the energy go- the go- didn't have the guts to call this out how are they going to wrap, how, how's the whole team going to are they going to help fight us out of the relegation battle if we end up in one yeah, yeah I mean that, that, that characterises Marco Silva's time at the club though I, I remember when he you know we haven't come on to his sacking yet but when he was sacked I said that was the biggest thing that you know was the problem with his leadership. Like the club had no leadership in a in that capacity. Like used to get walked over constantly. Like the referees would like you know we had two VAR decisions go wrong with us in back to back games in the um, the Brighton and Leeds Tottenham game. Didn't criticise them at all. You know the year before Jurgen Klopp sprinted onto the pitch and he won't say a thing about it. You know like he just make gets made to look a show of. The this this son incident with Gomez won't won't condemn anyone. It's just it just that was fine. It's, it's cowardly and you know that doesn't that's yeah. not the character you want to see from an Everton manager. No, he he wasn't an Everton manager. Like, there was there was arguments for keeping him. There was people who liked him. I you know I've been in that camp myself. But what no, it, it was just the even around this time I think you know like every time. Everything would he, he, he was an unlucky manager and it was showing. And we're an unlucky club and you can't have both. And it was just the it was the timid, the timid sort of mumbling, you the know, like, to it. I think yeah, you, we've got to we've got to just respect the referee and all that. I was like, oh, you know, you don't. Like that was when I, I that was for me. You said before, when did you know the season was going bad? Obviously, season and manager are two different things. But that Spurs game was when I. Join the cause of this as guy's not an Everton manager. He's not going to be an Everton manager. That could be quite late for some people, but I when I saw the way he reacted to the Son thing, I was like, no, he doesn't get it. No, that that, that I think that was probably the point for me. I think it was really starting to lose it with the Sheffield United and Burnley results. But I thought he got the West Ham win, and I thought we were unlucky against Brighton. So I thought, you know what, let's give him the benefit of the doubt for now. But that Tottenham game really sunk me. I think with Marco Silva and then. Obviously, we move on. We got a win at Southampton after that, which was actually re- relatively decent. But then, Norwich at all. Yeah, that, this was this, everything bad about everything at that point just boiled over that day. The substitution, the in-game manager over, the general no energy to go on the pitch and fight in the first place. The fact that you never really at any point under Marco Silva earned the right to win games. It was all because we played well, so we won. There was never any, you know, we're just going to go on the pitch and roll our sleeves up today at any point. It was just, and then it just all came out that day. And then I don't think they went on and won another away game after that. No, they didn't. Here we go. It's just, it was, it was, it, I think it was the low point of the season where we all started collectively look and think we could be in the right we could be in a load of trouble in relegation I'm talking here as well I'm not talking yeah we know we we, we could say we we certainly looked like we were going to go down at that rate having lost that game we looked at that December as well and even if you look we had the top top six teams and then we even had Newcastle away 
through. I don't think we went on and beat them, but I don't think they've lost many home games. Um, no, they, 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 I think they were unbeaten at home until we beat them. Yeah, I think they might. Have. I think Leicester and us beat them like consecutively. But at that point, I mean, we had Burnley, and that's a tough game because they were above us. So at that point, you looked and think, we don't know when our next win's going to come from here. And this fella's not really fighting. The team doesn't fight. They're not the fans are resigned, so we need something here to give us a lift because we look like we're sinking. Well, then obviously we lose to Leicester and Liverpool, which was two chasing experiences in different yeah. ways. But I think at that point we already knew he was going to go. I think they were just free hits for Marco Silva to basically have his nose rubbed in it, which was typical of that kind of manager who wasn't really fighting. So, you know, it, it was horrible. He was hung out to dry a bit in that respect, but he kind of hung us out to dry. So either way, I think. It came back to bite him, I think, and he lost his job, obviously, after the derby. And then we've got, you know, this was a very depressing season, as you can already tell, guys, but this is, this is the... Got it, sorry, go on, Owen. I was say, how did you feel after that, though? Because Silver had went and we'd gone through this, like, 10 defeats in 15. We were linked to a very nomadic manager as well. We didn't realise the calibre of manager we'd end up getting, but... I remember feeling pretty low after that because I didn't know when that, the look was going to change. Yeah, no, I did feel very low, but I was kind of glad that he'd gone. And I think when I heard Duncan Ferguson was taking charge of the Chelsea game, I suddenly felt a lot better because I thought, you know, we've got a fellow who's got experience being a real fighter for Everton, taking on the job. And in that sense, he didn't disappoint you. He will go on to that game now, that Chelsea game at home. That was probably the high point of this season, if you ask me. Yeah, no, we were still very much in the doldrums, even after getting the three points. But it was a fantastic day, just everything about it. It was, you know, you, you can't put it into words. Just it was Everton in a nutshell. And it wasn't terrible, but Everton, it was actually Everton. Yeah, Terry, what about you, mate? I think watching that, that, uh, Chelsea game, watching, watching Big Dunk go mental and hug ball boys and you know wearing Howard's watch and the sweatbands and you know PCL scoring and it was just what the, the club it was the supporters it was the team needed it was he, he injected Everton back into the into Everton into like, Everton you know, yeah what 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 should be Everton you know the like we're not a, we're not a fan base who grown accustomed to or feel entitled to class teams but we've always felt entitled and been used to strong combative teams like Moise's best teams and best like times where it wasn't like he was blowing teams away off the pitch we've never been a team like that but but we were we'd outwork them we'd outfight them uh, and that's what the that's the identity of the supporters I mean you know we were we were linked we were getting linked with managers and Basically, I think it was Jamie Carragher said on Sky going, we that you know he he was an advocate of uh, Benitez because he was saying well, like you know they, what Everton should be doing is, is is blood and thunder football where you know like you you just like bloody the nose of the opposition team and that's what Dunk brought in he he got in and those players who, who let's be honest weren't famous for their their work rate and their commitment like Schneidlin and Sigurdsson ran themselves into having injuries like. For that game, like the the Chelsea game, and Chelsea, let's be honest, they've been hit and miss a little bit, but they were in, the, they were like, they were in the top three, and we were in the bottom three, 
and we absolutely battered them in the sense of, you know, just desire and wanting it. And they got Goodison back on side. And we had, you know, I think it helped as well the way that Charleston scored, like that's how we're an editor. And it was just like, oh, this is Everton. This, this is, is proper as Everton. This is like big dunks, Everton. This, like, big, yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. This is exactly... big, big, big dunk, big powerful headers pulling us out of the mire, basically. This is what he did himself as a player. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't as if he came in and he had revolutionised the football. It wasn't that we were, we 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 had that malaise come over the club where we were. It was just we'd had a gutless sort of spineless, never win an away game, never look like we can beat any team who's got a good work rate. You know, t- you know, we that version of Everton. And he just literally just picked it up and said, right, get out there and, and run more than them. And I don't, I don't want to see you snapping into tackles. And they did it. And, and it, it was it was fantastic. That game was the most uplifting of the season because it made me think. I mean, I didn't think we would go down because we've been a lot worse and didn't come anywhere near going down. But it made me think we're not going anywhere. It was just like, we're going to end up with Moyes and we're never going to go down with Moyes, but we're never going to do anything either. And it was just a case of... It gave us that breathing space that the the, the change the changes that Dunk made is of putting two strikers up front and just working on like you know compact you know aggressive football. It was like this cuts ice with our supporters and it did. And it, it, everyone came out of that game going, yeah, we're going to be all right. It may not be Dunk for the rest of the season. Some people wanted it to be Dunk for the rest of the season, and I wasn't one of them. But fair enough, like he'd done that well. Like I can see why people wanted that. But it was great. It was a great result because it's just what we needed as a fan base and as a club. You know, like and, and not only that, the emotional, passionate side to it as well. It wasn't just the result, the three points. It was the hug and the ball boy. He came out in the club suit, which he you know doesn't wear usually, and you know he had the sweatbands on still. It was just like, oh, this is proper throwback, you know, stuff. This, this is proper like it's when Everton was still Everton. Yeah. Who did you want, by the way? Sorry. Who did you want as manager? Who did I want? Yeah. Oh, I was like everyone else. I didn't know who I wanted, um, but I knew who I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, want them. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how we all were. I think. I I didn't want Moyes. I didn't think I didn't want to ruin a good thing by Evan Ferguson just because of the way Solskjaer was at the time. I thought he'll do well for a bit and then it'll fall away, and I don't want to dislike Ferguson in a few months. Okay. And that's that was what happened. I didn't even dream Ancelotti. I'd, even when he was free and available, I thought, now nah, what he'll do is he'll go and have a little holiday in Toronto, and then he'll come back in the summer to like a like an elite level club or a Champions League club, maybe not a title winning club. But then when obviously we spoke to him, we, we got him, and I was like, bloody hell, I didn't expect that. But now I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I just didn't want Moyes. I wanted something new. I wanted something yeah. different. Than what we'd had before, and Moise was stability, but he was not. There was nothing fresh about Moise. It was like, yeah, I didn't want to move. Did you want? Did you want Dyche? <laughs> no, I, I the, genuinely, that's a question. Did you want Dyche? I'm I mean, it's unbelievable. To be fair, um, I, I would have had them. I, I, would, I said, I said at the time that I, I, I looked when we were being linked with Pereira and Eddie Howe. I think. That I would have had, well, I would have had Dice over them, but I was more in the Benitez camp. I wanted um, Benitez, but see, I, I was very, very, very do not appoint Benitez. Roger. Not because he's an ex Liverpool manager, because you know there's been loads of them, and as a, you know, if years down the line we needed the manager, and you know, as I've clocking at heartbeat, but for me, the only reason I wouldn't hire Benitez was because he called us a small club, and 
And I mean, I know it might have just been a little jibe here and there, but those things don't wash with fans, and you know, fans would never have talked to him. Yeah. Well, on Benitez, says, I would have had him in in strictly football sense, um, but I would have had him in the context of if you just presented all those managers who we were linked with, like Eddie Howe and yeah. Vitor Pereira and and Moise, I was like, well, if it's out and then Benitez. If it's out to them, Benitez has got that higher like level of quality. He would have been like a poor man's Ancelotti. Like he he would have done better than any of them, I think. But a, I didn't want him, want him. Where I was like, oh, he'd be great. It was sort of like, well, he is the best there. You know, like he's, he's achieved more than anyone else and what have you. But then I was like, you know what? Because the the comments don't don't bother me like at all, like at all. They did at the time, obviously, but now it's sort of like, yeah, whatever. If he comes here, it shows that he's, you know, he's, he's he doesn't think that anymore. If he ever did, but it was, I thought, we're onto a hide and for nothing if we appoint this man. He's two defeats away from sacked himself because yeah, he's an Liverpool manager. He's an Liverpool manager who does not after dinner speaking about Liverpool to this day. It's like you you need someone, and it's I like who we ended up getting in Ancelotti who's got the supporters trust and it's you know people didn't like Silva because what's he won who is he didn't like Koeman he didn't get Everton blah 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 these are all valid points for different people but I was like we can't go in with the next Liverpool manager because he's, he's going to get that held against them football isn't a passionate game and I can't judge people but it will it will undermine anything he does he'll have to win every game and he's not going to put it this way have Liverpool ever appointed the next Everton manager no which one would they have wanted? Yeah, like would any of them ever been good enough? No, <laughs> to be honest, like that's got to be honest with you there. But I don't know. It it would have been held against them. Like it's it's the English game isn't like that. I mean, some I think that's a sign in England, not in like Italy and places like that. It doesn't bother them a little bit in Italy, but in like England, that's a bit tin pot. That's why that's why Birmingham and Villa and all that can have the same managers and. Bournemouth and Portsmouth and Southampton all have the same managers. It's because they're, they're small. Well, not Villa aren't, but most of them are small clubs who aren't bothered. Whereas we're Everton, like we're not having some ex-Liverpool manager who'll do us for a couple of years, and then when he retires, he'll stop. He'll just pretend he never was here. Like you know, when yeah. he's when, when he's finished up, it'll still say ex-Liverpool under his name. It's too. It we didn't want that. Like I didn't know. I thought he's still better than Howe and he's still better than Vito Pereira and he's better than Moyes. But he's not palatable to the to the fan base. I thought Moyes will get it because he's more palatable if, if he's not desirable. So yeah, I, I just looked I, I just looked at him and thought the the calibre of manager we're getting linked with here is not very high at all. Benitez will do I I, I still think he would have done well as Evans manager in terms of results. I just thought we needed some stability, especially when you saw when Bergeson came in, it was very much compact in football. We weren't, we weren't playing out from the back or nothing, were we? So I, I thought, if we're getting results like this, he'll just carry it on. And yeah, well, I, I thought I thought he'd sort out our main problem if we got him, which was we were conceding. The corners were as good as penalties yeah. against us because we were conceding from every set piece and we couldn't defend. And I just thought, you know what, if nothing else, he'll come in, he'll put Keane and Mina right at the back and he'll they'll he'll have them sitting on the six yard box and he'll get us nice and comfortable and safe and mid he'll just do another allardyce is what I think but he he'll be less abrasive as a personality. Now obviously 
we didn't know at this point that Ferguson was going to come in and turn Mason Allgate into an absolute demon and Calvert-Lewin was going to suddenly find lo- decent form and score loads of goals. But I thought, oh, we, Mina and Keane will be ideal for, for um, Benitez because he'll just sit them deep and he'll sit Coleman deep and he'll he'll play like Schneidlin ahead of them and he'll he'll just sort out the defence, but he won't do nothing else. And I, yeah, I just thought he, he, if it has to be someone, it'll be him. But I don't want him, want him. Yeah, and why you said there about the abrasive personality thing, that's why I kind of weren't going all in on, on Dice because I looked there and thought he, he's just going to be compared to Sam Allardyce and I don't want that. I would rather just, if he got it, would be like a fresh slate where he isn't coming in firefighting. So I don't know, it was a tough situation, but I didn't manage, think we'd get Ancelotti. So yeah, obviously, just a few days after the Chelsea game, Ancelotti gets sacked by Napoli. Yeah. It's interesting that when, when Dunk was managing us in that Chelsea game, Ancelotti was still contracted to Napoli. Yeah. And he, obviously, they go up the Champions League and he gets the sack. It was out there, though, wasn't it, if you remember? It was widely yeah. reported that after this Champions League game, he's going to get sacked. So I don't think you know the owners, the Everton boards, were like, we'll wait for Ancelotti. I think they were seeing who became available and just thought, we'll stick with Duncan Ferguson until we get someone we want. Because he was, he was told, Ferguson even said at the time, what how many games and he just went Chelsea and he went all right chairman like to Bill Kenwright he went I'll do it and then obviously he must have said to him we're trying to get Ancelotti but it's you know obviously the games are coming thick and fast it's December we just take a few more and you could tell Ferguson hated every minute of being in front of cameras but he thought I'll just if we get this if we get a top manager I'll do the extra games and that is how it's worked but mm. yeah it was a weird time wasn't it we were happy to have Dunk but obviously we knew he wasn't keen on staying and we had this other top manager who people were laughing off like oh yeah you aren't going to get him uh, I I was I didn't think we had any chance to be honest and of course he's just he, he's just he just wouldn't come to Everton I just didn't think he'd want to he'd want to put his, what he's done on the line to come to Everton but it's worked out pretty well I think for him as well because I, I think he's proved in a way that he can come into a club and get results, despite the fact he hasn't got Hollywood players. Yeah, it, that's a good point. But also, what surprised me is, like, obviously, we appointed Ancelotti and he settles really well in the city. I mean, who just said, like, that Ancelotti would love going to Crosby Beach? Yeah, I know. That's, like, that's for me, that's one of the real breaths of fresh air because I thought he'd come in and be a... I was hoping he wouldn't be like up himself like Ronald Koeman was when he came and treating it like he was doing the club a favour. And I think he's come in and his attitude's been exemplary. Yeah. He ticks every box as a manager for Everton. He's got the, the pedigree in the sense of no one will doubt him like like they did Marco Silva. Like, you know, he's like a student learning his craft. We don't want that at this club. So he's big enough for the club. He's, to be honest, he's a bit too big for the club where we are at the minute. He's big enough in status. He's got the right personality in the sense of he's he's not like you know Martinez who goes too far and he's he's buttering the supporters up to the point where it's ridiculous. But he's he clearly has a genuine like for the club and the area and the what have you. And the, he the fans, the I think he's really, yeah. He's got he's got the stomach and the backbone that we need for an Everton manager. And one big thing on the pitch as well is he's got an easily like identifiable style he gave the team an identity now 
people might not want us to play that identity while we haven't got the players. A lot of people going, I don't like this 4-4-2, we haven't got the midfielders, I don't like this, I don't like that. But you can't point to what Koeman wanted us to do, especially Silva. Like, Silva said he wanted to play 4-3-3 and then never played it. And we had this mishmash, hodgepodge like of players and they didn't really have a set style and identity. That's something that everyone pines after for the Moyes era because that team had an identity that you could point to. And so now does Carlo Ancelotti's Everton. We just need to plug in better players to suit it. But you can see what it is. We know now. We can't, you know, we're not going to buy players to play in a five-man midfield. We know now that we're, we need certain types of you know, wingers. We can't have a name. Everyone, myself included, wanted David Neres at one point. Now everyone knows, no, nope, won't get him. He doesn't work hard enough. It's going to be someone else. So it's it's easy to nail down what a type. You know, back in the Moyes days, you'd have known if you were linked with a player going, he's not a Moyes player. We're not going to get him. Now it's it's easy to grasp hold of. You, see, you that. said that, but we got Billy Elettenoff. Yeah. Well, there was there was always the odd outlier, but you know you'd have never have been linked with you know a player who you ne- use this as an example, but we'd have never have been linked with an Ozil type player because he just wouldn't have fit in a Moyes team at all. Like whereas. You didn't know who we, who we were going to buy, like under Silver and and you know Cumin and less so under Allardyce. He wasn't here long enough, but now under Ancelotti, you know, even already after a couple of months, you know, well he's not going to fit. You know, he's not going to be an Ancelotti player. He's not going to not going to work because he won't fit that system. And as time goes on, we'll see it more and more. But he ticked every box the second he came in. Had everything going for him. He just. And he did that. He united the fan base. There's not, there was no one who said, "Why are we getting him?" Everyone, no. And it, it basically, he made it what we needed. We needed a manager who the club, who the supporters liked enough to not blame the problems on. Yeah. When he, Unan- it was a unanimous seal of approval, and rightly so because he is one of the best managers there is. Yeah, it was now the. The players are getting the blame, not the manager. It's and, so and, and if you ask me, that's correct because the players are the problem. Yeah, it's we we hopefully will get that stability now because it won't be turn on the manager if we have some bad games. It'll be why aren't these players playing to his level? Like, and that's what we need as a club: stability and trust in a manager. It's what Moyes built his whole career on. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think it's it's not it's not solely on his his reputation in the game as well. When he speaks after poor performances, he genuinely speaks for the fans. So after the Wolves game, he was talking about like the spirit of the team, and it's nowhere near good enough. But he, he's not, he's not, he doesn't strike me anyway as a manager who hides behind the team. Because you, you could have seen someone like um, if we got Jose Mourinho for example, either come in and he would have, he would have sort of kept behind the team because he would have probably made a few mistakes as well, and he, it would have just been a you blame the players, yeah, but. With Ancelotti, he, he talks about standards. He doesn't point anyone out or any referee. For me, I think really... Ancelotti strikes me as a manager who desperately doesn't want to blame the players, but he knows the players are at fault. I was just going to touch on, obviously, Ancelotti comes in, he gets us like two decent wins. First away winning, God knows how long, against Newcastle. We, everything's great. We lose to City, which is you know not great, but... Okay. It's, it's City, it was a bit of a free hit and then time for 
the real well we actually voted in our award show didn't we our low points of the season getting knocked out by the under 12s I thought we had a chance of winning it for once yeah it was like I think we might win this so that means we definitely won't win it even more than when we I think we won't win it it was it was just a really horrible situation that I think then you had like the Finch Farm 11 or 12 or however many of them there were the next day at Finch Farm. Oh, just... storm the ground and the Asper brands. <laughs> it, was, it was just it was very weird. They it? asked for the players, didn't they? And brands had to like appease them. All the media, yeah. 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 Oh, oh, lowest I, I, forgot about, I forgot about all that. I was. Uh... Yeah, I, like, I think I've just said, I was I was in the Black Horse that day. I was completely inebriated by full time because, like, literally every time something bad happens, I'd order another pint, and it was just like, you know, it's like, it's like an Everton drinking game, but it wasn't for a laugh. Well, the, that whole incident showed a side of Ancelotti that we had not in previous matches, and he just literally battered it away. Like, no problem. Like, they asked him in the press conference, and the media were like, itching to like make this a big thing you know mutiny at Everton fans and all that and he just went no it's done it happens all the time and Italy fans turn up at training the grounds and worry about it and that was it it's the end of it it just shows <laughs> well, to be fair, it, happen in, it happens in Italy all the time to be fair so he's not wrong yeah it just showed what an experienced manager he was that he just thought he, just, he knew he smelt what they were after he was like no nah, we're not making this a big story and just literally shut it down but not in a sort of like you know we don't want to talk about this it's not a big deal kind of way he just laughed and went yeah it was a bad result uh, not good enough the players aren't good enough I've told them all and the fans yeah not to worry about it happens all the time and then that was it everyone forgot you, and there's a reason you could forget about it because she forgot about pretty quickly at the time and that surprised me I thought when People went to hang over us for a long time. This is going to be a problem. This we're going to have players who want to leave and all kinds, you know. And at that time, didn't didn't care if they did want to leave, frankly. But um, it just showed that what Mashiri said it on Talksport when we appointed Ancelotti, and it it ran true. It was like this club needs an older, experienced manager because young managers and most managers really. Are only three defeats away from disaster at Everton. The, the expectation is too high for an Eddie Howe, a Marco Silva, whereas someone of decent standard and experience like a Carlo Ancelotti can just turn around and go, "No, don't worry about it. This is, what, this is how you get out of this situation. Is what you do about this. It'll cut. It'll pass, and it has for the most part. It won't ever work 100% because we're Evertonians, but it has for the most part calmed the supporters down somewhat." Doesn't feel like that at the minute, but after the Wolves game and that especially. But when you um, when you think about what it was like under Silver and and those who came before him, there's a lot more relaxation now. The, the biggest anxiety now is can we keep hold of the manager? Not is the manager good enough? Yeah, that's a very good point. But of course, after this debacle with the derby and that in January, we had the transfer window, and you spoke there about how well he batters off the derby debacle and the fans storm and the training ground and all that but I, what I love about Ancelotti as much as pretty much everything I mean everything about him is bloody great let's be honest but the way he bats off the media full stop I think when the transfer rumours come in and he just like shuts Sky down for like saying pretty much outed them for like talking a load of rubbish during a press conference and I think that was absolutely brilliant yeah he just he's he can handle he knows he said straight away, didn't he, in, in the build-up to that Liverpool game, he said, 
who he is and a Liverpool fan for the journalists. He was like, he's either been briefed or he knew it was like this club gets a certain type of treatment from the press, and I'm not having it. Like, no, like he's one of he's he's a he's a making stories up about his son and players. He's want to make a big deal out of the fans coming to the ground, and like I don't know, he's at all friggin' Liverpool paying fan. For, paying for blood, basically. He's all loving it. He's he's one he's one Everton. He's a Everton. Yeah, he's one an Everton a negative Everton story, and you're not getting one. It, it was it was kind of a thing to me when I listened to that. He didn't say anything like that. It was more of a case when he was saying that he was saying, "Look, you might have been able to get a story out of these previous five managers. You're not getting one out of me. You met your match in a kind of way." I think it was literally. It wasn't even like a, a job. I think it was just literally. Literally holding us over and just winding them up, like they they try and they try and bait you, so he, he's gonna bait them. Yeah, it was good. He, he he's he's his off the pitch game is great. It's just he's got to work with what he's got on the pitch, and you know that's none of that is yeah. But um, yeah, obviously didn't do any business in January, and like that pisses a lot of people off. But let's be honest, you know. The best business is usually done in the summer, and nobody knew we were going to have COVID nineteen do this, did we? So I think knowing what we know now, somebody might have done their business early in the in the January, but ah uh, well. Yeah, well, obviously we go into the lockdown with a much more you know acceptable league position, if not amazing. We'd, we'd recovered, we'd started out fifteenth by this point. We were eleventh, I think, in, at the start of lockdown, which again not great, but. We pick we pick it up again in June with a derby. They're about to win the league at Goodison, and it's all all hell's gonna break loose, and it doesn't happen. You know, there's a real positive for this season. I mean, everyone thought that was written in stone that they were gonna seal the title at Goodison, and you know, they didn't beat us. Fair play. I thought I thought we played I'm... relatively well that day. I remember going into that game, it was all of a bit of a known and what really came to pass with the last couple of games towards the end of the season, I thought would probably have happened from the start with just the motivation of the players. But in terms of like a tactical performance, that is probably the most impressed I've been from an Everton team in a very long time with the fact that they just stuck to the task. And it, was, it, was, it just looked so smart. It looked, we looked refreshed. We had looked like we had ideas and fair play. I think I think we talked about Carlos or the results, not the results. I think we've got very good results in terms of the points we've got, but the league position that it can look a bit sketchy. But the off the pitch and the on the pitch has really done. It's been a bit. He's done the, the on the pitch has not been perfect. Is basically for that 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 day from when we came back after lockdown was really really impressive. We looked the team; we were very well posed. Yeah, it was. It was a very good display, and we we done well. We were lucky not to win as well, of course. Davis hit the post. No, but yeah, that's Everton in derbies. That's just luck in it, you know. If we had if we had any luck, Ancelotti would have would have done them. He would have got a perfect game plan to nullify them, then hit them on the break. And if that po- that shot that hits the post goes in off the post, like it would for ninety nine percent of other clubs, like then you're saying, ah, oh, Ancelotti's got Klopp's card marked and and what have you. But obviously, can't factor in the fact that Everton won't get anything ever against Liverpool. So it's no one's that good. 
but it was yeah. a really good no. performance. Like it's also arrested some of the fears. Like you know, we hadn't played any friendlies in the lockdown, and we come off some bad results before the lockdown. You know, we had the um, Arsenal and Chelsea defeats, and the Chelsea defeat was dreadful. Like we were really bad that day. So obviously coming back from the lockdown, a lot of people thought it wouldn't happen. And then when it did, the there was a little bit of a concern, like, going, oh, are we going to be like Schalke? Are we going to be dreadful here? And, you know, Liverpool are going to win it at our grounds. Obviously, City made that not possible before the kickoff. Yeah, that was relieving that. Wasn't a sure thing. I, I still think in another timeline, the lockdown didn't happen and they did win it at Goodison and it was a full Goodison. Because City <laughs> playing, playing Burnley with crowd might have been different, but it didn't happen. And thank God for that. But uh, yeah, anyway, we moved on. We won the Norwich game and the Leicester game, and things were looking relatively rosy. That was very impressive. It was all down to the tactics most of the time. That sort of got us over the line in those games. But it all went wrong, really, didn't it? With the, the Tottenham game and the Wolves game. And we saw the team for, let's be honest, what it really is, and it's a bunch of spineless individuals, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's he's not a miracle worker, is he? He he got us the points in quite a few games at first, like the top, the Leicester game. They were absolutely killing us in the second half, and then he changed it. No, look, put Tom Davis in the space that James Madison was occupying, and they suddenly you know started to fall away. But then, as the the, the players' motivation drifted after Spurs, it was like, yeah, he's he can't do it with players who are unwilling, and that's what that's what it showed that. When we dropped the points to Spurs, Europe looked out of reach, and then the players just fell off a cliff. Like, and he said in the last game of the season, he said, "What I've told the players is come back with more motivation," because he saw it, and and that is almost in a roundabout way better because he's not he's not going into next season with this very short turnaround conned by any player thinking, "Oh, he's great," and then he's going to find out down the line that he's that he's you know. Carl Ancelotti's he's seen enough players in his time to know what makes an all right player. Yeah, yeah. He, he's not he's no one none of those players can pull the wool over his eyes now. He knows now he can't rely on certain ones or he shouldn't rely on others as much as he probably does. And he he, he he's he's realised now that the scale of you know recycling of players that needs to happen in the summer. Whereas if we'd have gone back from the lockdown and played well in every game I, there'd be players who, who probably would still be in situ next season who shouldn't be. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, obviously, we, we had some terrible results, you know, the Wolves and the Spurs game, and then, of course, the Bournemouth game on the final day. We won't mull over these too much because, you know, we, we, we've had post-match reactions very recently to those, and, you know, I think the three of us have done many of them together, and we've made our voices well heard about how depressed we were after those games. So... But we'll, we'll, we'll round it up anyway with the end of season outcome, which was a 12th place finish, 49 points I think we finished with, which is, you know, let's be honest, it's not good enough, is it? No, No, but it's happened in spite of Ancelotti, not because of him. This Absolute, season, absolutely. This season, and I know it's an overused expression and it's been used for Everton quite a lot recently, but it's never been truer than now is a season of transition where you switch from one manager to another and the, usually when you switch manager, the change isn't that dramatic, but it's, it is, isn't it? Let's be honest. You're going from Marco Silva to Carlo Ancelotti is a big change. And this half season, I think, should only be looked at is did he 
start to implement his ideas that he'd make that change and and he did he came in and he all right he carried on what Duncan Ferguson did but there's been a lot of things he has changed like the playing out from the back style the the right back being the third centre back these are all Ancelotti things that you know are now getting in place and there's things that he's brought in which we can't do yet you know like the, the, the two central midfielders clearly we haven't got two central midfielders who were fit at the end who could play it but you, you know if we'd have had Gabamon maybe it would have been a lot better because he might have suited it you just don't know there's a, there's a lot of unknowns but the things you can hang your hat on say well yeah he's come in he's put his ideas in and more importantly put his standards in he's now yeah. no no one can get away with it now because everyone knows what this manager expects and if you can't deliver that then you, you're not going to play yeah, I think that's certainly we've got to see what he brings in I think it's it's all eyes are now on the transfer window obviously we've got to bring in a better standard of player and players who like you say fit that mould of Carlo Ancelotti's like new system because you know it's quite a complex system when you think about the way we sort of adapt at times. We're going to need the right kind of personnel to make this work. For me, we need players with energy, bite, and a bit more, just a bit more interest in the midfield. You know, we've we've been shackled with the ones we've had this season and, you know, it could be a complete game changer. That's what we've got to hope anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, we'll round off with that anyway. It's, a, it's definitely a case of must do better next season, but signs of life, hopefully, certainly courtesy of Carlo Ancelotti if nothing else uh, Ancelotti's sort of like average points he got, he's got so far if you put it over like a full season it's 60 points isn't it so well, I think, no I think we'd have finished 7th if, we, yeah. if we'd have had him all season on average yeah. but or in this form t- position in the form table since he took over I think we ended up 7th so yeah. not, not bad at all and hopefully that's a kind of what we'll be pushing for that kind of position hopefully next season if we can get it right and like I say it's just over to the transfer window now and get the right players in we'll see what happens for you podcast listeners of course now it's time for the quiz the classic match day squad quiz Owen goes up against Terry the usual big showdown we always try and find a winner to Give us a song to see out the end of the show. So, let's get to it. We'll do the usual coin toss to figure out who's going to pick. I'll let Owen kick heads or tails this time. Owen, heads or tails, mate? Go on, heads. It's heads, Owen. So, do you want to go first or second, Owen? Um, I'll go second. Owen's going to go second. He's, uh, no putting the initiative over onto Terry here and Terry's gone first the last two times he's got two wins in a row now Terry so it's going to be an interesting one we're going to have to see if Terry's really turned the corner in his uh, Toffee Blues quiz career so yeah we'll get straight into it we'll cue the intense quiz music there it is and we'll reveal the fixture in question which is an interesting one to throw back to our Europa League exploits under Roberto Martinez back in 2014-15 and it's a very forgettable game to be honest it's Lille nil, Everton nil. Thursday the 23rd 3rd of October 2014 we've got the 11 starters and 3 used subs to get through 14 chances Teddy you're up first mate Samuel Eto'o 
Sammy Alessu started the game. Owen? Um, Seamus Coleman. Wow, this was over quick. Teddy's got three wins in a row. Seamus Coleman oh. did not play. I and it, I can tell you why I know for a fact that he didn't play because this was that game where Tony a bit made himself famous for doing a couple of step overs. Bro, I didn't know that. Yeah, Tony, Tony, Tony did, did a couple of drag backs like with no one near him and like everyone just lost their heads. Tony Hibbert on the same flank as Samuel Eto'o. You saw it. It was. I was just. That was just. It was a classic game just for that in itself and. Just, I just remember like Tony a bit like had literally no playing near him, so we just thought he'd do a couple of drag backs. It was just fun. It was fun. And we did this. We both got them all right. If it was the Limassol game with Craig Shakespeare. Oh God, yeah. And we've had a couple of them recently where it's gone on for ages, but clearly this one was decided in two fatal swoops. So, so yeah, I'll, we can try and guess the rest of them anyway. I mean, I've just given you Tony Ibbett, so I'll write that one off. Uh, I said as well, though, so I, I knew it. Yeah, well, obviously, when Coleman didn't start, it would have been Hibbert, probably. So, yeah, we've got Eto and Hibbert, and we've got 12 more to get. Romelu Lukaku. Lukaku was a substitute, but yet he did come on. Stephen Naismith. No, there wasn't any Stephen Naismith even on the bench. I, I presume he's played every single one of these games. Yeah, it, it did feel that way, but he's not even on the bench. Aiden McGeady. Yep, Aiden McGeady started. Was Mo Bessage around? Yep, Mo Bessage played the full game and Shahara got a yellow card. Okay. John Stones? No John Stones. He wasn't even on the subs bench. What's he doing? I should remember all of this. I was there. I went away to this game. You, the you game. What, what, what one of the 30 million you went? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it was the worst game ever and we could have won it right at the end but McGeady didn't square the ball to Lukaku. He's an absolute tramp. Can't stand him. <laughs> um, who else? Ross Barkley. Barkley. Yeah, we said that at the same time. Ross Barkley, yep, started the game. James McCarthy. James McCarthy came on as the third sub in the 93rd minute for Ross Barkley. Gareth Barry. Yep, Gareth Barry played the full game. Stephen Pienaar. Stephen Pienaar was a starter and got sub for Lukaku. Leighton Baines. Leighton Baines played the full game. Phil Jagielka. Jagielka played the full game. Sylvan Distan? Yep, Sylvan Distan was the other centre-back, played the full game, you've got the full-back four. In fact, you've got all of the starters, bar one, and you're missing just one sub now. Leon Osman. Leon Osman wasn't even on the bench. Tim Howard. Yeah, Tim Howard was the starter you were missing. So now it's just the one used sub. Kevin Morales. Nope, no, no Kevin Morales in the squad at all either. Christian Atsu. It was Christian Atsu. He came off the bench for Aiden McGeady. Probably just after he didn't square the ball. Uh, so yeah, that, that was the team. Tim Howard, Tony Hibbert, Phil Jagielka, Sylvan Distan, Leighton Baines, Gareth Barry, Mohamed Besic, Aiden McGeady, Ross Barkley. 
Stephen Pienaar and Samuel Eto'o. Atu McCarthy and Lukaku were the three used subs. And the unused subs were Joel Robles, Darren Gibson, Seamus Coleman and Antolin Alcaraz. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, so there you have it. Teddy's got a third win in a row in the quiz. And he, I can already see him scrolling through his phone looking for a song to see results at the end of the podcast. What, what, what have you got in mind, Teddy? Um... I'm going to go with Come Together by the Beatles. Oh, very nice. Got the well, best, like, bassy intro of any song ever. And it's something we should all do as supporters to support Carlo. Yeah, you know, that's good. And it's been on an advert for ages on the telly. I can't even remember what it's for, but it's just, I just keep hearing it all the time. And it's a tune, so... Dude, yeah. Could... Why in God's name not? So yeah, there you have it, guys. We'll leave it at that. We'll see us out with the Beatles and come together. And until next time, thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in, I should say, on the Toffee Blues.